You're listening to the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, it's a bit of a frigid one out there, but hey, it's winter. This is supposed, this is to be expected, though the sun is deceiving. Um, hope you had a good week. I was able to do something a little fun this summer that I didn't really get to, I wasn't able to talk about it until, uh, well, I guess the past week or two when it aired. Um, I was really excited to be able to join, in a, in a small way, the cast of the new season of Degrassi. And uh, so that shot in the summer and it was supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to make these announcements for them or anything, but I got to, um, I got to play a teacher on Degrassi. And if you had asked me when I was a kid, if I would ever be, you know, on the new Degrassi, I would have thought that I would have played one of the students (laughs) because in my mind, I'm forever young and I am not old enough to be the teacher on Degrassi. But, uh, you know, I have to say that it was a, it was a lot of fun. It just had a small role as the new, um, I was Mrs. Lynn, the Mandarin teacher. And if you're about my age, then you probably remember the original Degrassi. And that was the kids of, uh, Degrassi street, but then growing up sort of my generation of Degrassi, because it's been on for so long and it's had uh, various versions of the show. Uh, I grew up during the the Degrassi Junior High and the Degrassi High year. So that was, you know, those are the kids that I grew up with. And they've always dealt with uh, very current and very real uh, issues and topics that affect teens and kids these days. And I did catch um, a little bit of one of the episodes because they have it online, which is great. That wasn't the case when I was a child. You had to watch it when it was on TV. But the topics that they deal with are really relevant to kids today. So it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And if you feel like uh, catching the new Degrassi, um, it's Degrassi, the new class. It's uh, The website is f2n.ca. It's one of the family channels. Um, so since I moved in the fall, which I know some of you know about because I moved into a really small condo and I'm not going to keep talking about it. But uh, this is the first time in a long very long time that I've lived in a high-rise where I look into a lot of other high-rise buildings. Like, I'm downtown in the middle of the city, and unless you live really high up and you are able to look over top of the other buildings, chances are you're surrounded by other condos and other people's homes. So I just figure that from standing in my condo, I can see into at least four other condo buildings very easily. And I figure, well, you know what? They have so many options in terms of what they can look into. No one's looking into my condo in particular. So I'm really lazy with pulling up my blinds half the time or pulling them down. Because I think, you know what? Who's really looking in right now when there are so many other condos that they could be staring into? Well, last week, I looked up and there was a man in his boxers folding laundry. And I could see him so clearly. And I just thought, well, then... the. If I see him so clearly, then everyone sees me when I'm like running around without pants or wearing like my pajamas with the polar bears on them. And uh, and I put I kind of mentioned it on Facebook and a friend of mine who lives in my building a few floors above me, she said, I don't know which direction you face, but there is a man whose condo she looks directly into, who every morning he irons his work clothes completely naked, but he makes sure that he goes all the way around the ironing board to get out all the wrinkles. And she said he does this every single morning. And 
if that were me, I could never look away. But come on, you know, if you're the guy ironing butt naked with your blinds up every single morning and you look directly into someone else's condo, you know that you are doing them a service by providing entertainment. It reminds me of that Friends character, the um, ugly naked guy that you never saw. They, he was so ugly, but they couldn't stop looking at him. You just can't just can't look away. I've got a few great guests on the show today. Uh, coming up later, uh, you know about all those celebrity-endorsed health products, diets. Apparently, this Tom Brady, Giselle Bündchen diet is becoming quite popular among people, um, which is not surprising because who doesn't want to look like a supermodel? But, uh, you know, the cleanses, juice this, don't eat this, eat that, this vegetable's good for you, but this vegetable's bad for you. All of that. Do any of them actually work? These diets that celebrities endorse? Because, hey, you know what? A lot of people want to look like them. You might surprise you that they've not all been scientifically proven. So Tim Caulfield, he's going to be back. He was a guest before. Great guy. He's written a couple of books. One is called The Cure for Everything. The other book he wrote uh, last year is called Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? And I won't ruin the book by telling you the answer. So he's the Canada Research Chair in Health, Law, and Policy. He's going to uh, join the show later on, and uh, he'll help you save time and cash, trust me, by telling you which celebrities you should not be listening to. But my first guest in studio is a man who knows a lot about food, but he's not endorsing any sort of diet that I, that I know of anyway. Uh, Tyler Shedden is the Director of Culinary Operations for the Chase Hospitality Group. Uh, so Tyler, that encompasses like Colette, uh, which I'm familiar with because it's not too far from me. <laughs> yeah, the Chase, uh, the Chase Fish and Oyster, mm -hmm. uh, Little Finn, and Casamoto in Yorkville. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Okay, so those are a couple of restaurants for you to kind of oversee, keep yeah, your eyes on. Yeah, just a couple, yeah. <laughs> just a couple. Yeah. You know, why bother with just one? We can, you know, be busy with a few. So you actually uh, came from Cafe Balut at the Four Seasons Hotel, so you'd been there for a couple of years. Yeah, I came, moved to Toronto when when uh, Danielle was going to open in the fourth season. So um, yeah, I was there for about three years. So uh, Toronto is a little bit new to you because you yeah. so you grew up on the west coast. Yeah, I grew up in BC on an island. Um, so what island on Quadra Island. Okay. Um, so that's you know three quarters of the way up Vancouver Island and in the Inside Passage. Um, you know, very seafood driven society over there. Well, this is what I was uh, reading about you, which I thought was cool, was that you worked on oyster farms and clam beaches. And that's not something most people, especially they grew up in Ontario, that's not something that they would have had experience with. Yeah, like as a, as a kid, you want to make money for your your season's pass so you can go snowboarding. <laughs> so you, you go to, on a clam lease, you know, you dig clams and every clam you see is like, you know, 25 cents in the bucket. So. <laughs> but wait, how much are oysters? Because I feel like those must be more lucrative. They are definitely more lucrative, <laughs> for sure. So when you're uh, harvesting oysters, I get, I, I just, I'm curious as to <clears throat> the process, like how labor intensive is it? Well, if you're on a natural lease, what does that mean? That means you lease uh, a beach mm -hmm. from the government, and oh, I didn't realize that the 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 oysters are naturally growing on the beach uh, yeah. on the beach. Um, so you just pick them off off the ground, basically. But most of the oyster farms are they grow on 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 lines of rope that hang in the water. Oh, so then okay. you, you pull the lines up and you pull the oysters off the line. I feel like that would, I mean, you would get more volume that way, right? Because they, Yeah, those are actually, you're cultivating them then. Right. But instead getting of relying them out, on nature. Right. Nature is very sporadic. I mean, you still rely on nature <laughs> because they're feeding from what's in the water, but yeah. you're, you're actually 
they're 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 on the line. But when you're, you're kind of there. like farming them and cultivating them, then you know that there's a lot of it's more of a density. Yeah, right? more of them yeah, in one spot. for sure, for sure. Well, because I grew up in Halifax, and when I was a kid, we used to uh, go clam digging for fun, but we never got enough that made like a meal for four <laughs> for four people. But oh it was God. like the novelty of. Uh, so again, this would just be like a huge beach, and it was called Clam Harbor, so that's easy enough to identify. And uh, when I talk about it, because not everyone realizes like where you get clams, but like they grow, they're not grow, but they're in the sand. Yeah. It's not like you wade out into the water. Well, you got your rake and. Yeah, we had little, my brother and I had dirty. little shovels and then you would just dig and you would look for the little holes in the sand when the tide was out. And they spit at you through the they holes. They totally yeah. spit at you. And I don't think, I don't think as a kid we enjoyed eating clams, but we liked digging for them, right? So, and it, like, that's, that's a fun. great way to keep your kids They're like busy. little prizes, little jewels you find in the sand. Yeah. And you look at this, you're like, oh, and you just, yeah, you know, they're kind of dirty and gritty and you're a kid, you're not, you know, you don't necessarily love them but it's just part of part of growing up um so your food background is like i feel like it's been since you're a little kid yeah for sure my family yeah my my grandmother uh in san francisco she she had small restaurants in, in san francisco so it started definitely in now, the family and your sure. you had a your family had an inn is that it the historic yeah. hundred year old inn my mother yeah i basically grew up inside there so i've you know seen a lot of hospitality industry through that. What was your job as a kid in the inn? Oh, dishwasher. I would work on the dock. We had a, you know, boats would come in and I'd pump gas for them or tie them up, you know, when I was a little older, a little stronger, you know, um, everything really. I, I worked, you know, folding laundry and raking the, the grass, you did, whatever. You did everything. Everything. Yeah. yeah you were and I you worked in the everything. bar after, you know, once I got 19, I wanted to work <laughs> behind the bar. Yeah. You get tips though, right? Yeah. Oh it helps you save up for your uh, ski pass a little That's bit uh, quicker. That's so uh, you're because you're with um, the Chase Hospitality Group, and we're here to actually talk about truffles. So I know after the break, uh, we're going to do a little bit of a truffle 101. I I really like truffles. I know it's not for everyone, but it's a, quite a luxurious ingredient, and not everyone really knows what they are. But you're doing a special dinner uh, later this yeah, month. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do a dinner at Colette on the 27th of January. Five course black Perigord truffle celebration i guess okay so um, we're going to talk a bit we're going to do a bit of a primer a truffle 101 for people who uh may be curious about them and uh, i think also to g give some tips on how to use them and i would say one of the most accessible truffle products for people is probably like a truffle oil or truffle salt but even then you might want to you know know what to look for when you're buying so my guest is uh tyler shedden he's going to stick around and uh after the break we'll see what it is you know about truffles and uh i don't think you will ever guess how much the most expensive truffle is text me with your guest 71010 uh, you can always find me on twitter and instagram as well at paychen but uh, right now we're going to take a break and uh, check your roads with news talk 1010 time saver traffic more with paychen on in-depth radio news talk 1010 hey welcome back to the show we're talking truffles not the chocolate kind which i do love uh, but you've probably seen things like truffle oil on a menu or maybe some truffle salt and you're wondering why your fries taste so delicious. And you might know that it's a bit of a pricey ingredient. So what the heck are they? Why are they so expensive? My guest is Chef Tyler Shedden. He's a director of culinary operations for the Chase Hospitality Group, also former executive chef of Café Boulud at the Four Seasons Hotel. So let's get started because I 
the first time I saw a photo of truffles was probably on Instagram or Twitter, and I saw it, Tyler, and I thought, this thing is ugly. It just looked uh, like, I, I want to say it looked like a rock. Yeah, I mean. It's, Between a rock and a potato. It lives in, lives in the ground. It grows, <laughs> yeah, it's a tuber just like a potato. So then what is a truffle exactly? Because it's not, like you said, it lives in the ground like a potato, but not a potato. So it's a fungus that is. Which is also an attractive word. <laughs> which which is, has a symbiotic relationship with mostly oak trees and hazelnut trees is where, where you find them. So. A lot of people describe them as um, as a mushroom, but it, it is it, or is it just that it kind of has that mushroom-like earthy flavor, and that's why people have that. Well, it comparison. is a fungus, so they they're related in some way. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a the genus is tuber, so it, it is mushroomy, and the the flavor definitely has you know that mushroom earthy, flavor. Yeah, it's the soil, and and they go very well together. Mushrooms and truffles are you know hand in hand. Yeah. So I guess to describe to some people what they taste like, which we just kind of you know, alluded to right there is that it doesn't, because I know some, I, I love mushrooms. I didn't as a kid, but I know some people who are very like anti-mushroom. So it doesn't mean that you're going to hate uh, truffles if you don't like mushrooms. But yeah, there's like, there's I don't a think similarity. There is. <laughs> they're, they're much more aromatic than, than mushrooms, I think, than most mushrooms anyway. I mean, uh, I think if you don't like mushrooms, you know, you try it, but Maybe you're not gonna like truffles. I don't know. But then I think uh, to me, then you would try it in um, a more subtle way. So you know, maybe with a, like a lighter truffle oil. Well, or I like think with a like salt. the key is not eating a truffle. Like just <laughs> taking a truffle eat... raw and eat it. It's or, not an apple. Or just you know. You... Could you imagine how much that would cost? <laughs> and it would be disgusting. It would really, be it would taste like a mouthful of dirt. Really. Yeah. But a if you cook with it, I mean, when you cook with it, it really coaxes the, the aroma and the flavor out and the, the texture changes. And, you know, I, I love mushrooms. I gotta... So, well, I guess what makes them so pricey? Like we should give people an idea of how much they cost. Like, is it something that <clears throat> an average, you know, consumer could buy? Like, could I afford to buy a truffle? Like, would it just have to be really small? Well, I mean, okay, so if you break it down right now, they're probably selling for upwards of $2 a gram for black truffle. So one, Which is not very one much. Gram, well, that's okay. one gram. Yeah. So I think to get any sort of uh, enjoyment out of a truffle, you'd, you'd probably have to shave at least three grams on top of, you know, very, very thin on top of some, some scrambled eggs or, mm -hmm. you know, a nice pasta with Parmesan and butter. And, you know... It's it's attainable, but you don't always see them in the supermarket. You know, you have to go to a specialty store like Cheese Boutique or something. We'll we'll find you'll you'll find them there. Um, what makes them so costly? I guess it's not easy. It's not like you can just <clears throat> plant a farm full of truffles and then yeah. sit back and rake in the money. Well, they do. They they have done that in Australia, but you know. Traditionally, the the truffles that you will buy are an animal is used, a, a pig or a dog, to to smell them because they're in the dirt, and you know you can't really smell them as a human. The, the dogs and pigs' noses are so sensitive. We know what I loved uh, when I um, I was mentioning in the break that I did a little food trip to Italy um, summer of 2014, and the little agriturismo where I was staying at a nearby farm, uh, they had the the gentleman who on the farm he had um he, he had pigs who would you know like seek they were trained they're like sniffer dogs but they're sniffer pigs and they were trained to go out and smell and locate truffles in the woods and that to me is just so 
uh, amazing because it's not really something we do with well, and uh, like the, the guys where I buy all of our truffles, the MGM truffles, Tony and Peter, there, the the family back in Italy, they they say that the those dogs and and they use dogs mostly, but the dogs are like the kings of the family, like. The, the dogs are treated well like their gold. noses are worth a lot of money <laughs> yeah exactly i mean that's bread and butter right there the so livelihood I guess of that family depends on that dog you want to treat that dog yeah. really really well uh so let's you mentioned a bit like italy it, i know that truffles come from there so it's not something that we're uh bringing in locally or from north america right they're mostly there's Europe? some people trying to cultivate truffles in oregon but really? they haven't been as successful with the with the quality the aroma is not what it should be. What are the challenges of, because some, I would think like it's some all smart about, business person would go, wow, I should be growing <coughs> truffles and I mean, selling it's, them. It's a, like I said before, it's a symbiotic relationship with the tree root system. And it's all I think about terroir. Mm -hmm. Like that's a big, big part of it. You know, I think the the closest thing to a Perigord truffle from Italy or France is, is it, they're doing it out of Australia which is kind of convenient because the season is a summer. So right. black truffle season ends here and it kind of starts in Australia. So if you want to get them, oh, and they're, they're, they're pretty comparable. They're, mm -hmm. they're actually very nice. So now you've already mentioned uh, the black truffle, but there's white truffle too. So is it the, there's two main varieties? The white, yeah. I mean, there's, there's probably five different varieties, but the Perigord black and the, the white um, are, are the most sought after. And the white truffle is, is much more expensive because it's, it's harder to find. It's more rare. It's more delicate. Um, it's more of an aromatic than than a than a. When you eat it, you you really use your nose mm -hmm. to taste it instead of your your palate, kind of. So if we're looking for because uh, as we mentioned, truffles are not a super cheap product. Mm. So that's why when you do see them on menus, so you know, shave black truffle on your beautiful pasta, it's it's a pricier dish. Um, but I know that for people at home, you can. Um, you can buy things like truffle oil, which yeah. we mentioned. What are you looking for in a truffle oil, let's say, if you're at the store? And you want to make sure that you're not totally getting ripped off. I think that, I mean, it's, it's hard because there's a lot of artificial aromas that they put in. Mm -hmm. But I think that you would look for, you know, the ingredients list containing olive oil as well as, you know, you want to see black truffle, truffle or it. white truffle right. instead of, you know, aroma or essence or something <laughs> oh, like that. Oh, good point. Right? Yeah. A essence of uh, Truffle flavoring, something like that. It's like vanillin yeah, know, or vanilla. Absolutely. Very quickly, what is the world's most expensive truffle? I th I was doing some research. I think a few years back, they sold one for $400,000 oh or something. Oh, my God. That is the price of a garage in Toronto. You won't get you won't get much more. It's crazy. Four hundred thousand dollars. I think that was like two ki two kilo truffle or something. Could you imagine how well the dog ate that night that found that truffle? <laughs> Amazing. So very quickly, uh, tell me about this dinner that you're doing at Colette. So it's on January twenty seventh, and you're using the amazing black truffle. Yes. Um, so we're gonna basically there's gonna be truffles everywhere, even on dessert. We're gonna <laughs> oh, you know there's okay. five courses, and we're gonna you know progress. Into from from vegetables into pasta, fish and meat, and then and then dessert. So, Very nice. uh, and then it's all it's all paired with with uh, some some nice burgundy. Okay. Every course has beautiful burgundy with it. So, well, a really nice treat if you're looking for uh, a very I guess different sort of meal out. So that's at Colette on uh, the 27th. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Appreciate been a pleasure. It. You got me wanting a really nice 
bowl of pasta with truffles on top of it. Let's go. <laughs> After 27. the break. 27th. Yeah, okay, I'll be there. After the break, think you found the perfect plan for eating healthy? Well, you might be wrong. I'll tell you why in a few minutes, but right now, we're taking a quick break here on the Pay Chen Show. Be back right after this. Where opinions are celebrated. The Pay Chen Show on News Talk 1010. Well, we haven't quite finished January yet, which means a lot of people are still, I think, sticking to their New Year goal or resolution of being healthier, maybe uh, trying to be more active, to eat better. But uh, a lot of us aren't doing it properly, which is no surprise. But uh, you might be you might actually be shocked to know how much celebrities influence the trends and the diets and the you know popular f- the hot food of the year because uh, you might think like I don't pay attention to what celebrities do but surprisingly they do have a huge effect on uh, what everyone else is talking about so Tim Caulfield is on the line hey Tim hello so Tim you are Tim is the Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy a professor in the Faculty of Law and the School of Public Health at the University of Alberta also research director of the Health Law Institute at the University of Alberta so Tim uh, does this even fit on a business card <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lot of titles but you know what you're talking about because you've been you've been researching this for a long time that's right you know really I've been very much into the impact of celebrity culture on our lives for three or four years. It's been a big part of our research agenda. And plus, it's just a, you know, a topic I'm personally fascinated with. And, and you're absolutely right that if you look at the data, celebrities and celebrity culture has a huge impact on our health behavior. Well, for some people who, you know, I would say to you like, oh, no, just because Jennifer Aniston eats this doesn't mean that I'm falling, you know, onto that bandwagon and I'm, I'm doing it either. But then what happens is that, you know, a celebrity will say something on uh, the red carpet or on a talk show, and then suddenly it becomes really popular with all these other people. And then, you know, new businesses start up. And this is why this juice is good for you, but this vegetable is bad. Yeah, that's right. You know, I, as you can imagine, over the last year, I've heard a lot of people say to me, oh, you know, this is a great topic. Celebrities don't influence me. But if you look at the data, if you look at the market trends, it's hard to deny that they're having a huge impact. Juicing is a great example, actually. If you just look at the data in the U.S., it's a $2 billion a year industry. Wow. It employs like 35,000 people for juicing, you know, cold-pressed juicing. And uh, it, I really believe that industry would not exist but for celebrity endorsements. So you have that kind of example. And then there are examples of just celebrities. You know, Gwyneth is one of my favorite examples. <laughs> well, you um, named you a know. book after her, right? So we should exactly. let people know that your book is, is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything. That's right. And, and you know, she's, a, she's a great example of, of branding, right? So you may not think Gwyneth is a credible source of information. You, you know, I don't believe her when she talks about this, but she has such a, uh, a fantastic brand that you perhaps associate with her, uh, and therefore you're more likely to adopt a, um, a health behavior that she endorses. Well, because she, she looks healthy, you know, she's, her skin is glowing, she looks fit, she's thin, she's the kind of you know, look that a lot of people want to work towards. So if she says she only eats steamed organic chicken, I might, in my head, when I'm grocery shopping, look for organic chicken. Yeah, that's right. And there's actually research that backs that up. It's called the Prius effect. (laughs) So the way it works is uh, you adopt a behavior that tells the world what kind of person you are. It becomes part of your identity package. 
And so I'm not saying that it sounds like it's an insult, but we <laughs> all do it. Uh, so, for example, you know, you drive a Prius because not only because you think it's environmentally conscious, but it's a way of telling the universe what kind of person you are. Well, celebrities play a big role in shaping that identity package. So you're absolutely right. Gwyneth looks great. She has this, this great image, you know, this great lifestyle, this great vibe. So she creates and it helps to form and, and, and define the identity package associated with buying organic, you know, going with kale, juicing steaming your vagina, whatever. Right, <laughs> which was something that she uh, suggested wasn't, I think it was in recent months, right? Was that that was a great way, like a, a cleansing sort of thing, but not highly recommended by any professionals? <laughs> That's right. She, rec- you know, it's funny because people say, oh, why'd you pick Gwyneth? And then she keeps proving month after month why I picked Gwyneth, and one of, she has these, cra- these crazy bits of advice, and that's one of them, this idea that you're supposed to steam your vagina in order to detoxify your uterus, which of course is completely scientifically uh, inaccurate, scientific (laughs) nonsense, and it might even be harmful. Uh, And I would like to think that most people I know know that that is not at all something you should do, but the the thing with with celebrity culture um, is that people do often look at celebrities as sort of like a gospel, you know, like what they say, what they do um, must must be uh, proven. It must it must be it must work. So therefore, I will do it. So I know a recent one that you've kind of, um, you know, had some interest in was the Tom Brady and Giselle Bundchen diet, because Tom Brady, while, you know, a highly paid football player who's married to a supermodel, why wouldn't I want to eat like them? Yeah, that, that's right. You know, Brady came out. And I love Tom Brady, so this breaks my heart. He's one of my idols, and so you, know, you keep spewing this funk. Yeah, so he's adopted this extremely severe diet. Um, you know, no sugar, no gluten, uh, no coffee. He's never drank coffee, which I can't believe. Um, and he's, you know, no nightshades and no, you know. So here's tomatoes. the thing: what is a nightshade? Now I don't think everyone knows what that is. So that's that's a particular kind of food, and I think people like eggplants are a really good example of it. And the and the idea behind it is that it's supposed to cause inflammation. And 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 with so many of these things, there's a little bit of data behind that. And if it, but the problem is, if you just there's no evidence to suggest that we all need to adopt this severe the severe diet pattern and that you're going to get any long-term benefits from it. Well, you know, Tom and Giselle also have the luxury of having a professional chef. So someone who can ensure that every single meal uh, is balanced and has every ingredient that they want. So I was reading up about um, some of the things that isn't, or I guess is included and is not included. Uh, So about 80% of what they eat is vegetables and whole grains. Well, Tim, that sounds pretty good. It seems like something most nutrition experts might recommend. Um, but the other 20% is like lean meats, I think mostly organic. And and then there's all the things you were saying that they don't eat, which, I mean, I know I shouldn't eat so much sugar, but I like it. I also like flour. Yeah, I mean, the, the a lot of these diets have, even the stuff that Gwyneth suggests, have great parts to them, right? They have um, this idea of eating lots of uh, lots of fruits and vegetables, which I am 100% behind. I mean, that's a simple recommendation, but it's always projected through this lens of celebrity. Right? <laughs> so it's got to be complicated. It's got to be some kind of special fruit or vegetable, you know, some expensive thing. And studies tell us the more complicated a diet is, the more likely likely you are to stop. Right? It's hard to maintain a complicated diet. 
So I really support the idea of just think big picture. Think about eating lots of fruits and vegetables and healthy protein and not eating junk. I mean, and again, research tells us if you have that kind of broader perspective, you're more likely to succeed. The other thing, of course, with Tom and Giselle, really good examples of it, is a lot of people adopt these, these diets to look better, right? The emphasis mm-hmm. is always about weight loss. We're so shallow. <laughs> yeah, we all are so shallow. And, you know, it's not, you know, if, if at all possible, we should be more of a motivated by health. Right. Which is, uh, I feel like that's the, usually people's like second priority, which is like, I just want to look better. I want to fit into my jeans. I want to look nice in a bathing suit. And oh, if it's healthy, then, you know, that's great. Now, because you've been studying a lot of celebrity influence diets and eating trends in the past year, I guess, which one stands out to you as just being the most ludicrous or obnoxious? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, the the all the detoxes and cleanses, so those right. really those really severe diets, like the you know, Beyonce living off of like water and Kanye pepper, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that is just ridiculous. Um, uh, Kim Kardashian eating her placenta uh, is also kind of ridiculous. Not a, not uh, a delicious diet, probably. Not a not a you know that's not a delicious diet against no evidence to support it. And even those kind of really extreme approaches. And as you mm-hmm. point out, a lot of them adopt it for weight loss. That's why they think they're going to do it. And you know, I went on the the Gwyneth cleanse. You know, that was called a clean can cleanse. And I did lose weight. You know, you yeah. lose weight because you're thinking about what you're eating for a period of time. You're eating fewer calories, so the weight comes off. But as soon as you stop, bam, it comes back on. Because it's not the kind of uh, diet or uh, eating plan that you can keep up for the rest of your life. They're often kind of the extreme ones are are short term. You know, you can only um, you can only survive on maple syrup and warm water for maybe a few days. And after that, you need a bite of something. You're exactly right. You just can't maintain. And if you're thinking about long term, and that's the way you should always think, uh, you've got to adopt some kind of lifestyle that you can maintain forever. So if there's you know one kind of like you know positive thing I'd like to say you can say about this, maybe these things will give you a kickstart. Right. But um, you've really got to think long term, and you've got to think about something that you know kind of a, an eating pattern that you can uh, maintain and that you enjoy. Hey, we only live once, so it's got to be uh, a kind of pattern of eating that you think is kind of fun. So Tim, I'm going to ask you to stick around uh, after the break. I'd like to talk about your five scientific points that you advocate for, you know, eating eating well, being healthier, possibly losing weight. So uh, Tim's going to stick around. We're going to talk about that. But right now we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. This is The Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Tim Caulfield uh, joins me. He's the Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy, also a professor in the Faculty of Law and the School of Public Health at the University of Alberta. And Tim has actually spent uh, the last few years studying celebrities and how they influence us, especially in the world of, uh, of health. So, Tim, just before the break, we were, we were talking about some of these crazy celebrity-endorsed diets. So Tom Brady, Giselle Bündchen, um, they're very extreme diet. And this is like a... I don't know, I'm going to guess multi-billion dollar industry when a celebrity starts to endorse a certain product or food trend? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always hard to figure out exactly how much it's worth, and I've, and I've dug around. But, for example, you see figures like $5 billion industry for, uh, for the detoxing, cleansing industry, for example. Um, how accurate that number is, I don't know. But, it, look, it's billions. Same with the ju- uh, juicing industry. Mm-hmm. 
And then you look at things like, you know, the gluten-free industry, and I'm not talking about celiac, I'm talking about, you know, the health trend, gluten-free, yep. billions and billions of dollars. And a lot of that is fueled by celebrity endorsement. Absolutely. And what's really, um, I was quite surprised because I'm so used to seeing a juice bar in every corner now. And uh, I don't mind it because sometimes that's a, you know, I feel a bit sluggish during the day. I may have not had any greens and I'll pick up a, you know, a nice green juice. But I was in uh, Taiwan for three weeks. I did not see a single juice bar there. And it really yeah, showed funny. me the difference between yeah, like North I, you know, America. I travel, yeah. I travel a ton. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how these tra- trends are so regional, right? You know, the gluten-free trend, for example. Mm-hmm. The juicing one's a really good, good example. I was in uh, Scandinavian countries a-, a lot this year, and you just don't see it as much. Um, and they're ridiculously beautiful, too. So <laughs> <laughs> You're like, <laughs> so... Correlation. Yeah. So now, um, I know that you ha- your book, uh, The Cure for Everything, outlines basically what science has proven. So what you've discovered through your research and and digging into these celebrity-endorsed diets and eating trends is that a lot of what they're spouting, it has no scientific uh, background or, um, you know, evidence to it. Yeah, that's right. And um, I I think that you can, I always start, this sounds like a depressing, but I don't think it is. I think it's liberating. Whenever you hear a new new exercise routine, uh, a new diet, uh, a new superfood, I always say, assume it's wrong. (laughs) Oh, no. Right, because long-term data always says that, look, it probably isn't going to play out. And then the other interesting thing is even if it does prove to be effective, it's the effect size is tiny. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not like it's having this revolutionary impact on on our health. So you stick with the science-based fundamentals, and that will take you 95% of the way towards a healthy lifestyle. Uh, I know that there's big money in uh, like supplements because some of us are just so darn lazy. We just want to f- we just want to buy that bottle of fifty dollar pills and feel like oh this is it's got extract of whatever in there and uh, you know so and so says it's great or for people who are let's say you know bulking up at the gym um, there's all these like quick fix solutions. Yeah, and again. Almost no evidence to support it. The whole supplement industry is just, again, multi-billion dollar industry uh, that's trying to sell us stuff that, in general, we don't need. We should get our vitamins from the food that we eat. Now, look, there's an ongoing debate about vitamin D, um, mm-hmm. and I think that there is a, you know, some legitimate scientific uh, rationales for, for some people taking it. And for sure, if, there's a, if there is a clinically identified deficiency, people should you know, uh, take supplements to fix that. But we're talking about sort of these general supplements that are marketed to us. No evidence. It's expensive tea. That's what they always say. Uh, you know, you're, <laughs> you're paying for stuff that's not going to have really any, any long-term health benefits. Um, it is really expensive. So you've got your five scientific points. Uh, let's, let's go through them and share this with people. So I, I really think this is going to save people money because it, you can spend a lot of money on these powders and supplements and juices, you know, as delicious as they might be. But uh, it turns out the five scientific ways of being healthier and and losing weight are actually, well, they're common sense, but they involve work. And I feel like uh, Tim people don't like to work. Yeah, I think that's part of it. We all want a simple answer and we all want an answer that is, um, you know, uh, one thing, right, instead of a constellation of activities that we have to adopt. But I like to think that, you know, it's liberating. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that you can ignore all this noise and just focus on the fundamentals. And they are. They're ridiculously obvious, pay, but that's kind of the point, right, because the market wants to complicate things. Celebrity culture wants to complicate things so they can sell stuff. But they're ridiculously 
uh, obvious, uh, and they are, you don't smoke, number one. And, you know, it's still a huge issue. Uh, 17%, 18% of Canadians still do it. It will kill 50% of the people that do it. If you smoke, nothing else matters. So I, really? You know, some, yeah. When, I, when <laughs> I'm presenting, I often, you know, put up images of, you know, like Jessica Alba and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Gwyneth, and they're giving all this advice about organic food, and they smoke. Like, it's just nothing else matters if you smoke. It's just the worst thing you can do. Number number two, get real exercise. Leave, live an active lifestyle. Any exercise counts, but I believe that we should get some vigorous exercise in there. Number three is a cheat, but I don't think it's really a cheat. It's eat real food. And that just means lots of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, you know, healthy proteins. There's really no magic behind that. But do you Uh, believe that there are uh, the superfoods, right? Because whenever there's a superfood, everyone wants to buy that because they feel like that's the magic, you know, the magic leaf, the magic berry. That If I just eat, you know, pomegranates, that's a superfood. Kale is a superfood, you know. Uh, And now what I've heard for 2016, which I actually love is that seaweed is the new kale and that and so if i just eat a lot of seaweed i'll be really healthy yeah i, I always say there are no superfoods i'm such a downer right ah <laughs> uh, well basically i'm like these are all the things i'm eating tim that i think i'm doing right and you're telling me i'm wrong <laughs> Well, the, you know, all those things are great. Like, you mm. know, blue, I remember blueberries are superfoods. I love blueberries. I love berries generally, right? Those, you know, they're, all these things are great, and you should be eating them, but don't think of them as a, as a superfood. Um, you know, you should just think of them as, a, as a, you know, a part of your balanced diet and the idea of eating lots of fruits and vegetables. The other thing I can't stand is there's is this trend, of, like, there's supposed, uh, uh, supposed to be some fruits and vegetables that are bad for you, and I, I hate that. Don't complicate the story. Um, you know, just eat lots of fruits and vegetables, eat what you enjoy, uh, you know, and avoid that kind of superfood noise. Well, I was given a an example of a diet that I was supposed to follow by uh, I, when I join a new gym and they're like, well, you know, if you want to shed those pounds that have crept up on you. Um, and it had so I thought, like, as long as I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, like you said, it should be OK. But they had all of these do not eat fruits right. and vegetables on there because they were higher in sugar. Bananas it, always on there, right? Bananas, um, things like mangoes. Uh, and they're like, don't eat sweet potatoes. I'm like, you're a fool because I know sweet potatoes are good for me. <laughs> but you're right. Like it's, um, I mean, I don't know anyone who eats uh, three meals a day of sweet potatoes. Maybe that wouldn't be recommended. But. Yeah, look, most Canadians don't eat near enough fruits and vegetables. I think, you know, the data, the most recent data I looked at was from the U.S., and it was like 10 to 13 percent of, of people are even close to eating. Uh, so, look, <laughs> we're about superfoods. We're nowhere near that kind of uh, point in, in society where we should be tweaking the kinds of fruit and vegetables we're eating. Um, and, and if you look long-term, when you're talking about weight loss, there's no kind of uh, magic to it. You know, the more protein, you know, less vegetables. You know, there's really no magic. If you look long-term, you know, three or four years out, it's really about, uh, you know, fewer calories and a balanced diet. Right. So uh, don't smoke, get real exercise, uh, meaning something vigorous. So just walking yeah. isn't always going to do it for you, uh, although it's better than nothing. Uh, eat real food. So, you know, get your fruits and vegetables. And then what else are we, should we be doing? Um, you, you've got to try to maintain a healthy weight. I know that's really, really tough, but, mm. but you know, eating calorie-appropriate uh, amount throughout the day. Uh, and, you know, the number, the next one I'm putting on is one I've actually added because I think the data is accumulating. Uh, the body of evidence is emerging. Uh, and I like this one, and I'm terrible at it, sleep. 
Uh, oh. I think that sleep's becoming more and more important. I think it's the the, the emerging uh, health crisis, really. You know, public health crisis. Most Canadians don't get enough sleep. We sleep terribly, mm-hmm. and there is evidence that it's connected to obesity, to mental health issues, to cardiovascular issues, uh, to a whole bunch of things. And so, you know what? Get a good night's sleep. What I think we sacrifice sleep for everything else. Yeah, oh, well, not I maybe think... not everything else, but well, you know, it, it's like. Oh, we'll catch up at, you know, I'll catch up on the weekend. Yeah, you're right about that. And, um, you know, we're all so busy and, and, and we don't have a, it's a, it's a society where it's almost like if you're pushing really, really hard, you know, I didn't get a good night's sleep last night because it was so busy. It's almost like a noble thing. Uh, and getting a good night's sleep isn't like, you know, ex- viewed as exercising or eating well. And I think it needs to. I think we need to change how we think about sleep. Uh, and also, you know, uh, being tired is associated with accidents. It's associated with a whole bunch of things, you know, problems on the, in, the work, uh, in the workplace. So there's lots of reasons that, you know, societies, not just in Canada, but around the world, should really embrace a good night's sleep. You know, you made a really good point because I feel like there's a bit of a badge of honor if someone says, oh, I only need five hours and I'm fine. I, yeah, you hear a lot of that in the office like when some, because I truthfully, I, I don't sleep well and I need, I'm someone who needs my eight hours. But then I'll meet the people who uh, love to work out at five in the morning who say like, oh, I, I don't need much sleep at all. And I think, oh, you're such a hero. I know, you know, this hard driving kind of attitude, right? You know, you're, you're viewed as being really tough if you don't eat a lot of sleep. And then you always hear these myths like people like Churchill who barely slept. But look, <laughs> if you look at the, the data, you know, if you look at the population data, we all need somewhere between seven and nine hours. And for, for the vast majority of us, uh, that's what's required for our health. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate it. Great tips uh, require some work on our part. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) That's all right. I really appreciate it. Well, look forward to having you back on the show. Thanks a lot, Pam. All right. That's Tim Caulfield. He uh, has a couple of books out. One is The Cure for Everything. The other one is, is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? Really interesting books based on a lot of scientific research. And uh, you can learn a lot about your habits in there that might surprise you. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. You can always find the podcast of the show online in iTunes, also on my website, paychen.com, and on Twitter, Instagram, at paychen. There's a new video of my niece. She's pretty cute. Thanks for tuning in. Stay warm, everyone. And I'll be back next Saturday.